Good morning, and welcome to Pennington AG Church. My name is Elizabeth Sherry, and most of you know me, but some of you may not, so a little introduction. My husband, David, and I moved here a little over five and a half years ago from Massachusetts. So in our time together, my Boston accent may spring forth if it hasn't already. Our move was because of a job opportunity at Princeton University for my husband. And I remember that day in our Massachusetts home in the kitchen when he told me about the job. And my first question to him was, where's Princeton University? His response was, New Jersey. My response was, New Jersey? I don't want to live in New Jersey. Well, I'm going to ask you to cut me some grace here because my only experience with New Jersey was when we traveled from Massachusetts to Florida to visit my parents, and we'd get on 95, travel over the George Washington Bridge, and head into Newark, New Jersey. New Jersey was pretty yucky to me. But I was so wrong. It's called the Garden State, and besides the beautiful landscape and the amazing beaches, what I love most about New Jersey are the people. You, the people of New Jersey, have enriched my life. And I love you, and I love this community, and I love what God is doing in you and in me in New Jersey. With that, I'll end with that David and I have three children, grown children, and four beautiful grandchildren, and one on the way. Our family is expanding and growing, and we feel unbelievably blessed. Well, Pastor Brian has been asking me for several years now to preach, and I have put it off until today. My concern was, and I told him, that I was afraid of saying something off or theologically incorrect. His response to me was, congratulations, you're ready to pre preach because you will say something off or theologically incorrect, but God's grace covers it. So with that, I come to you with fear and trembling, but I come with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Anointed One, take over, and may every heart be blessed today in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. May it be so. Well, we are in a five, we are in week five of a summer long series of the book of Acts, written by Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke. Before we do a quick review, I just want to say, wasn't last week's baptism amazing? Our very own Ruthie was baptized in the backyard of the church in a pool. And a global pandemic and Zoom church isn't really conducive to doing baptisms at the church. Um, so we did it last week. But my friend Kathleen, she just couldn't wait to be baptized. And she said to me in May, Elizabeth, I can't wait to be baptized. We have to do this right away. So we went to the ocean. We went to the Jersey Shore and baptized her in the ocean. Although the church celebrates baptisms all year long, it's very appropriate that we did a baptism during studying the book of Acts because the book of Acts is filled with baptisms. Luke loves to write about baptisms. There's um, water baptisms. There's baptisms of the Holy Spirit. There's being baptized um, in the name of Jesus. There's John's baptism of forgi forgiveness. 
It's a bit confusing, and there's one thing for sure, there's no prescribed manner for baptisms in the book of Acts. It appears to take place in different ways, in different places, with different people. And that will be the same for us. Ruthie was baptized in the backyard of the church in a pool. Kathleen was baptized in the ocean. And as we learned last week, Philip baptized the um, Ethiopian eunuch on the side of the road. The eunuch wanted the scriptures explained to him. Philip explained them. He accepted Jesus and he said, look, over there, there's water. Why can't I be baptized right now? And so Philip baptized him. So our stories are unique and beautiful. So let's do a quick review of what we've learned so far in the book of Acts. As Pastor Brian explained the first week, Acts was written in the first century, probably the middle to late first century. And Luke wrote the book, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and it was probably meant to be, scholars believe, one book, but it got separated. So Acts is the continuation to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke ends like any good story that plans to have a sequel. It ends with a cliffhanger. Jesus leaves his disciples and ascends up into heaven. The Passion Translation puts it this way. While he was still speaking out words of love and blessings, he floated off the ground into the sky. Now, my oldest daughter, Michaela, and son-in-law, Scott, her husband, are superhero Marvel movie aficionados. I know nothing about it. I do know this, though. When a new Marvel movie gets announced, they're all over it. The date is on the calendar. The tickets are pre-ordered. The babysitter is scheduled. And the popcorn is ready to be picked up at the concession stand. On opening night, they are there. And some of you are saying to me, oh yeah, I know what she's talking about. Well, when we get to the end of the Gospel of Luke, or any Gospel for that matter, we should be just as excited. Actually, I take that back. We should be more excited. Because the Marvel movies are make-believe. But the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts is real. And the great thing is, we don't have to wait. It's right there waiting for us. Acts is the continued story of the ministry of Jesus Christ the Messiah and his church. In the Gospel, we read about Jesus' birth and his life and his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. In the book of Acts, we read the story of Jesus' continued ministry and the birth and commissioning of the church and its rapid growth. And although you may never get a leading role in the Marvel movie, you do get a leading role in the Jesus story. The ministry of Jesus and his church continues through us today. The 21st century church is the continuation of the first century church we read about in Acts. The grand narrative from Acts involves us today. We carry this vital ministry of Jesus Christ in the church in the time the Lord has placed us in and in the place he has placed us in, the 21st century of America. And this should not be taken lightly. 
Today, we're going to look at the first seven verses in chapter 6. Now, the story takes a bit of a shift here. So I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. You can grab your Bible and follow along, or you can just sit back and relax. And then we're just going to go through and evaluate the verses. So from Acts 6, 1 through 7. But the believers rapidly multiplied. There was rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well represented and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an early convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. At PAG, we use the New Living Translation, and that starts off in verse 1 with the word but. Many other translations begin with the word now, and the Passion Translation begins with the words during those days. Whether but now or during those days, Chapter 6 begins with a connection to what just happened in chapter 5. So we need to take a little peek at chapter 5 before we continue. We're not going to read it. I'll give you the cliff notes. Peter and the apostles are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ the Messiah in the temple. They are doing miracles. They're healing people. And the high priests are jealous. So they arrest them. They bring them in for interrogation, and they put them in jail that night. An angel of the Lord comes to the jail cell and releases them. And what do they do? They go back to the temple to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Now, I have to be honest with you, church. If this was me, I don't think I'd go back to the temple. I think I would run home, lock the door, and hide under the covers. But no, that's not what they do. They go back to the temple and preach the gospel. So what happens to them? They get arrested again. They get brought in for interrogation. And then the priests decide they're going to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel basically tells the high priest, don't do that. This is all going to just blow over. Just don't make a big deal out of it. So the, the temple priests listen to what he has to say. And instead of killing them, they flog them. They whip them. So what happens after they get this whipping? Well, they go back to the temple and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, again. Now, once again, if that's me, I'm crying. I'm asking somebody to carry me home, and I'm chugging the Advil. Mm -mm. But no, Luke writes this. At the end of Acts 5, in the last two verses, 41 and 42, it reads, The apostles left the high council rejoicing 
that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. They rejoiced. They kept, keep, they kept preaching, even though they had been whipped for doing so. They were united in their rejoicing. Not one of those apostles said, I'm done. I'm going home. You can continue on, but I'm finished. No. They all rejoice and continue to preach in the temple and house to house. And this is how the church grew. Acts 1, Acts 6.1 states that, but as the believers rapidly multiplied. Do you think maybe the 21st century church does not see this rapid multiplication, multiplication because we're a little too comfortable or a lot too comfortable? This is a hard message for me to give. This is hard for me to, to say these things to you because I openly admitted I like to be comfortable. I like being comfortable, but I want to be willing to do what the apostles did, but I'm not there yet. I want to be there, but I'm not there yet. How about you? Are you willing to be uncomfortable to see the church rapidly multiply? Well, we're going to come back to this theme on rapid multiplication later, but let's continue. In the second half of Acts 6.1, it says this. Let's read it again. There were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, the Greek-speaking believers were Jewish Christians who had lived elsewhere in the Greco-Roman world, and they had allowed the Greek culture to come into their lifestyle. The Hebrew-speaking believers were more traditional Jews, and they did not allow Greek culture into their life. They were the ones that were discriminating against the Greek-speaking um, believers' widows. And as a result, there was rumblings of discontent. They were not united, and the behavior threatened future growth of the church. So first we see this rapid growth, and then we see rumblings of discontent. Rumblings of discontent. It still happens in the church today, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And it has throughout history. But this should not be. We get offended. We complain. We don't like a leadership decision. We complain. And dear brothers and sisters, this one's really going to hurt. We don't agree politically. We complain. I'm not preaching just to you, dear brothers and sisters. I'm preaching to me. I am guilty of all of these things. We are to be people of unity, even when we don't agree on everything. This is what will cause the church to experience rapid multiplication. We need to agree on the main theological issues, yes. And that is for another sermon, so please do not misunderstand me. The apostles were united in their mission, 
and they did not let anything stop them, not flogging, not whipping. And as we will see, they handled the rumbling and the discontent quickly and wisely. Let's take a moment though to talk about the widow. This is an important biblical discussion point and we should not gloss over it. The book of Acts was written in the first century. I think that sometimes we believe because we live in the 21st century in America that the widow does not need the same help as she did in the first century. But God's word is alive and active and it's true for us today. One of the most difficult parts about moving to New Jersey was leaving my very best friend, Terrace. We did everything together. Our children went to school together. We went to the same church. We exercised together. We walked together. We talked about everything together. We prayed together. Terrace and her husband, Jerry, and David and I, we did countless Bible studies together. Jerry was my daughter Aislinn's track coach in high school, and he also conditioned her to play field hockey in college. When David and I moved to New Jersey, Terrace and I continued our chats and our prayer three to four times a week on the telephone early in the morning before our day began. So when my phone rang at one o'clock in the afternoon on a beautiful October day in 2017, and it was Terrace on the other line, I was a little confused. And then when I answered the phone and her first words out of her mouth were, Elizabeth, will you please sit down? I was really concerned. The next words out of her mouth were, Elizabeth, Jerry died. He didn't wake up this morning. My friend Terrace became a widow at the age of 53. For the next two years, our phone conversations continued, but they were not the same. They were filled with tears, sometimes uncontrollable tears. And I just didn't know what to say. And when I did say something, it was wrong. It wasn't the right thing. Three and a half years later, Terrace is doing better. But life is not easy. Relationships have shifted. Loneliness happens and there are financial concerns. Terrace taught me this and I asked her to write it down so that I could share it with you. And this is what she wrote. The widow or widower does not need to be fixed. What she needs to be is supported. The widow needs the church to come alongside of her and serve her as she walks through the wilderness of transformation to be her hands and feet. Sometimes the best thing for her is to be present with her in grief. When you don't know what to say, don't say anything at all. Just be with her. Grief has to be witnessed. The Old Testament is filled with God's compassion towards the widow. And Jesus also spoke compassionately and uplifted the widow, even on the cross. He spoke to his disciple John about taking care of his mother, a widow. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this in the letter that bears his name. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows 
in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. We as the church are to show compassion to the, towards the widow and care for her. Our small body here at PAG have widows among us and many of you have been the hands and feet of Jesus helping her. We, the church, need to make sure to provide a safe place for her to express herself and go through her grief and find ways of helping and supporting her to come together in unity. As earlier stated, we sometimes may think because we live in the 21st century and in America that the widow doesn't need the same help that the first century widow does. But as my friend Terrace taught me and as I realize now, the widow needs space to grieve and I cannot stress that enough. She needs a listening ear and a friend, and she may need financial support. The early church was faced with a leadership crisis concerning this very issue. It needed to be addressed, and the whole church came together in unity to solve the problem. Let's read verses 2 and 4 again. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. The, the uh, Passion Translation calls this food program a crucial ministry of serving. I love that. Whether a leader, a teacher, a preacher, a, a prophet, a server, all positions, all gifts in the church are of utmost importance. The Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian church that the body of Christ has many parts and many functions. The foot is not a hand and the ear is not an eye. He writes in 1 Corinthians 12 using the physical body as a picture of the body of Christ he writes this, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. And later he says, this makes for harmony, unity among the members so that all of the members care for each other. The physical body and the body of Christ work perfectly when and beautifully when it functions in unity. We let leaders be leaders. We let prophets be prophets. We let servers be servers, and the list goes on. It keeps us all in check, and we respect and we honor each other because of it. The first century church had a leadership crisis, and the apostles handled it well. They involved other people in the church and allowed them to make choices. They selected seven men, well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. May we also serve here at PAG, being people well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom. We are to lead and serve with excellence, which means we seek the spirit's guidance and wisdom every day. We show up on time and we serve Jesus, the Messiah. Let's see what takes place in verse five. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Now, I want you to know that I googled how to pronounce 
some of those names and I listened to five or six theologians and they all said them differently so I decided to pronounce them the way I wanted to. Okay. These seven men, full of the Spirit and wisdom, were chosen by the church, not by the leadership, to serve in this crucial ministry. Verse 6, these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Now we at PAG, we do this very well. Every January, the membership is allowed to present names to for people to be voted on, to be trustees or elders on the board. And then we come together and we vote. And once those people are voted on and selected, we lay hands on them and we pray for them. So this is a beautiful model of how the church works. So well done, church family. Now here's what makes this such an important model for the church. Verse seven says, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Now, don't miss that. The apostles faced a leadership crisis. They handled it well, and the number of believers greatly increased. In verse 1, we read that the believers rapidly multiplied. And now, in verse 7, we read, that the number of believers greatly increased. This resolution of conflict is framed by reference to the continuing growth of the church. And to top it all off, Jewish priests were converted to Christianity too. Now, were these Jewish priests the same priests that whipped the apostles at the end of chapter five? I don't know, but maybe church. When we understand who we are and all we were created to be, when we seek the spirit of wisdom, when we respect and honor our leaders and each other, and when we take care of the widow, when we walk in unity and we resolve conflict quickly, the church rapidly multiplies and greatly increases. A few months ago, our pastors taught a series on revival. And the leadership agreed that you can't just teach a four, five, six week series on revival. You have to teach a lifelong series of revival. Well, the book of Acts is a book of revival. It's a revival message with a historical narrative that does not end until Jesus comes back and then it just begins all over again. We, the 21st century church, are part of the Acts narrative. And we, the 21st century church, are here right now for such a time as this to build unity in the church and in the world. We are called to be unifiers. And it starts right here with us. This will not happen with rumblings of discontent. Hmm. Complaining is so easy, isn't it? But it's hard to be a unifier. Going back to the movie theme for just a moment, a family favorite of ours is a movie called A League of Their Own. It's about a woman's baseball um, team during World War II when the men are fighting in the war. And there's this scene where the two main characters are having a conversation. Dottie, the team catcher, played by Gina Davis, is having a conversation about 
leaving the team and quitting and walking away. She's talking to her coach, Jimmy Dugan, played by Tom Hanks. She's complaining how hard the game is to play. She says, it just got too hard. <laughs> Jimmy beautifully and very boldly says to her, it's supposed to be hard. And then he says, the hard is what makes it great. The hard is what makes it great, church. We're to be great people. The church is to be great. We're called to be people of unity. It's hard, yes. But like Stephen, we are people filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we are a continuation of a great sequel. God's grand narrative, it should be great. A few weeks ago, Pastor Ryan shared with us that being part of the kingdom of God is an amazing thing. The Jesus story that we get a leading role in is the story of unity. Christianity is a faith of unity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in unity together, and that is their desire for the church. Our mission here at PAG is leading people to Jesus, and we do that by preaching and teaching the Word and then living it out. Early, earlier, I read from James 1.27 concerning Pure and genuine religion means caring for the orphans and the widows. But it also says that we must refuse to let the world corrupt us. Are there things in the world that we are participating in that are corrupting us? Resulting in disunity in the church? Do we watch the news more than we read this book? CNN, Fox, NPR, Facebook, Twitter are not going to bring unity in our lives, in the church, in the world. This book is transformative. This book brings unity. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our news meteor of choice will not bring God's kingdom to the earth. It will not unite. Living out this book is what will unite us and will cause the 21st century church to rapidly multiply and greatly increase. We read in Acts 1 that the church grew and then there was rumblings of discontent. The leadership quickly and rapidly made some decisions and they allowed the church family to get involved and then the church grew again. What a beautiful model for the 21st century church. For those of you watching and thinking, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about, Elizabeth. Well, I have very good news for you. Paul writes to the Corinthian church that this is the day of salvation. Jesus is our salvation. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he is the one who helps us live and walk this life of love and unity. If you're watching this today and you know Jesus, but maybe you haven't been walking a life of unity, I think we need to take some time to seek the Lord for forgiveness. 
In this world of division, wouldn't it be great to live a life of unity and to watch the church rapidly multiply and greatly increase? Let's spend some time seeking the Lord in prayer, shall we? Let's bow our heads. For those of you who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I tell you this. He is a personal God. He created the universe and yet he wants a deep relationship with you. Let's take a moment to ask him into our hearts and to reveal himself to us. You can repeat after me or you can use your own words. Dear Jesus, I want to know you. I want to experience life with you. Please come into my heart and reveal yourself to me in a personal way. Help me to grow into a person of unity and love. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of us who do have a relationship with Jesus, but need to seek forgiveness for not living as the scriptures teach. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, forgive me for not being a person of unity, for not living as you taught me to live. Help me to be bold for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom. Help me to be a person of unity, Lord. Help me. I need your help. Amen and amen. May it be so. Well, we at PAG, we want to walk alongside of you. If you prayed these prayers and you desire to talk to someone here, please contact us so that we can journey this life of Jesus together. We thank you for joining us today in this message at PAG. May you be richly blessed.